Welcome back to the Charlie Music Podcast. My name is Kyle. This is episode 23. We're going to be talking about measure eight of the book, The Spirit of Music. And to do that, we have CJ here. How are you this evening, sir? I'm good, but I'm confused. Is it 23 or 22? 23. Is it really? It sure is. Because I totally saved it as 22 and it didn't ask me to override it. That's not my problem. No, it didn't override it. Oh, yeah. Nope. Totally my fault. It's 23. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Whatever. I'm older than you, so I can have those memory problems. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I have no comment to that. <laughs> no comment at all. <laughs> all right. Ugh. Now that we figure that out. <laughs> what did we figure out? I don't know. I figured out nothing. Nothing. Nothing's been ever been figured out. Nope. How are you feeling? I'm feeling good. I'm, I've yeah. been feeling good for a while. I've got a lingering cough, um, which is driving me nuts. But other than that, I'm fine. Good. I probably sound a lot worse than I do, than I feel. Um, my brain is still not caught up with me yet. so Still foggy? Still a little bit foggy. Yeah. But it's getting better. I can feel it getting better at least. Well, that's good. Yeah. How are you, Sti- sir? I'm doing well. The fact that I can't remember things, I, I don't know then. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm doing all right. You know, I can't. That's good. Can't complain. Working. We're getting into the beginning of the school year, so things are going to be a little like there's downtime in one area, but then it picks up in another area. Mm-hmm. So it's it's going to be interesting over the next few weeks, but not not like nothing crazy. Just just okay. the school year starting. So. uh just prepare for that. I'm looking forward to the long weekend. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. That being said, we're recording this before the long weekend so that when it comes out, I had we had it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was a good long weekend. It hopefully. was a good long weekend. <laughs> so what are you listening to? Anything good? Um No, not really. I actually been really been on this audiobook kick. Mm-hmm. So uh the book Armada that I was listening to from the same author that I wrote Ready, Pla- wrote Ready Player One and Ready Player Two, mm-hmm. I finished that and I really liked it. And I was looking for another audiobook and I'm going to bring it up on my phone while we're talking. And But I didn't want to spend an arm and a leg. I need to get my library account set up so I can just borrow it. But I found one by chance on Apple Books, which were not sponsored. Um, it's called Expeditionary Force. Okay. Uh, book one, Columbus Day, written by Craig. I don't know if it's Allen or Allen's, because the name's cut off. the The guy who reads it is is very good. I have to say, he does a very good job with the different voices. I like the way it's written. It 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 comes across almost like a journal. Okay. And and the the main person the, the narrator the reader the person that the, the first person like breaks the for- fourth wall in the uh-huh. book the way it, like he's talking to you right like and it's really it's really well done and um it's 
it's about an alien invasion and the aliens are called hamsters. <laughs> like the, the there's an actual name in the book for them, but mm-hmm. they apparently look like hamsters. Interesting. So that's all I'm going to give because I don't want to get the book. I, I but I, I so far I like it. It's actually cool. uh, and it was 99 cents. I was so happy. I was like, boom. Nice. <laughs> I nice. listened to Corey Wong's live album, not the new one, but the live one on Sunday when I was cleaning out the garage. Okay, which one? He's got a lot of live albums. The um, I know I was I was trying the one in Amsterdam that I, okay. I kind of stuck with that. Metropolitan. Uh, it was such a it was a great album to kind of. It's like a good play. album. I listened to a little bit of that this morning. Yeah, so that that in that sense of music is what I've been doing. Gotcha. How about yourself. So speaking of Corey Wong, he did come out with a new album on the 18th. I think it was. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, so I've been listening to that a little bit. Um, some good stuff on there. He's got a lot of. I mean, like usual, he's got a lot of really cool people on there. Uh, Alan Stone, OAR, Doty, Lewis Cole, um, Ariel Posen. Big gigantic, some good stuff, um, and he did a couple of like, like reissues of some of his tunes, um, and it was interesting. So I, I find I don't listen to a lot of his his um, studio stuff because his live stuff is so good, and I like live stuff. But I found myself really focusing, or at least noticing, like how good his guitar tone is. Um, I think it, it's almost like he. He features that more in his studio stuff than he does in his live stuff. Okay. Um, so is this one a studio album that you've been yes, listening to? Yes, this is a studio uh, album. It's full and studio. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So, um, and it's interesting because, despite um, trying to be like the instrumentalist musician of of our age, like the first three or four tracks are all like vocals. So I, I thought I'd play just a little bit of of yeah. some of them. So this is "Hiding on the Moon." This has got OAR on it. Waking up with the rain on my window, feeling like I'm on my own. Put the weight of the world on my pillow, these memories I can't let go. Kinda like a daydream, even when I can't sleep. There's a voice in the wind getting closer, telling me that I can go. So, I'm going to a place for a change of view. I need a little space beyond the blue So very different from what he normally does, especially on that track. For me, I heard nothing. You heard nothing? <laughs> I purposely didn't say anything because I'm oh, watching you. Letting, so sad. <laughs> oh, I think just, I know why. It was funny. <laughs> I think I know why. Hang on. Um, settings? That's yep, that's funny. why. We need to <laughs> no, be on... I, and, yeah, it it was it. it's fine. So, whoever whoever's listening or watching this, I did not hear that first clip. I hope you enjoyed it. Please let us know. I think the video will have it. Let's just play it again, just in case, because because um, the video the video should have picked it up because it was going through OBS. But 
No, I that's know why fine. I didn't go through for you. So this should not work for you. So let's let's try one more time. Hiding on the moon, Corey Wong and OAR. Waking up with the rain on my window, feeling like I'm on my own. Put the weight of the world on my pillow. These memories I can't let go. Kind of like a daydream, even when I can't sleep. There's a voice in the wind getting closer, telling me that I can go. So I'm going to a place for a change of view. I need a little space beyond the blue. So very different from what we'd normally know of Corey. You said that already. I know I did. <laughs> but this time, this time you can actually you actually this heard what I can what commenting on. <laughs> Yo, so, it, it is. It actually has a very um, uh, like almost like it's there. It's I lack for a better word. It's more popish. Yeah. And and almost like eighties. Yeah. How old is he again? He's our age, right? He's like he's younger than us. I think he's is he younger than us? Thirties, so. I think. Oh, okay, but still, it has a very like eighties, yeah, that eighties feel. Yep. Which some of his other stuff that he's done has that too. Yeah, but this and is, I was this... I, I was commenting that he's got he's got like that like I don't know if it's eighties or nineties like like beach guitar sound every once in a while. You know, and like I think this has got some of this is this is one of the ones he's done before. This is called Flamingo. to get to the chorus because I like the chorus a lot but yeah it's just that's that's more of his you know signature kind of style and feel yeah yeah, yeah. well so. i think he puts his signature style in any one of the pieces oh absolutely does, does but like it's always like there's the always that one, under yeah yeah yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah so so i totally just uh saved it to my apple music library so i can access it quickly nice. and listen to it over the next couple of days 
Very cool. Shall we get to our book for the week? Is that what we're doing? Oh, wow. No, I'm just I mean, we can keep doing music. I don't care. We'll do whatever you want. Um, yes. Let's get to the book. All right. The book. The book. And I'm going to hold it up for the camera. The book that we are speaking of is... Where am I going? Here I am. The Spirit of Music. For those listening, it's called The Spirit of Music. I'm sure you all remember because you have graciously been listening to our podcast the past few weeks. And we really thank you. So um, we appreciate you joining us on this journey and and not dissection of the book, but more of a uh, discussion, discussion of the book. Yeah. Different D word. Huh? A different D word. Yes. Different D word. This is measure eight. So chapter eight of the book, it is entitled her story. And the previous chapter, we were introduced to Seiko. Yes. Who is traveler from japan Mm -hmm. and is a watch drummer huh oh i said a watch a watch (laughs) a watch is a uh a drummer a drummer specifically the djembre yes yes so um do you want to give the back because it's a lot of it is is her yeah a lot of it's her story so the tagline is coincidences are life's way of whispering Accidents are life's way of shouting. Which we'll get so, into. What'd you say? Which we'll get into later on. Yeah. Um. It start. Do you want me to give like the little like if you want to, that's fine. and then sure. like and then like just jump in if you have something on underlined. Yeah. So we'll we'll do it that way. So uh, basically, it it talk it, it, we get pulled to her past a little bit. Um, it talks about uh her heading to a music festival in Japan with her boyfriend and another couple. And she is the youngest of three children and she's independent. And in Japan, uh, in the culture, women play a submissive role. Now, I don't know if that's still something that is as prominent in the culture today, uh, but I guess it depends upon the family. So she... um, it states that she was always against that. She wasn't a submissive person. So, for example, when walking with her boyfriend, she would walk three steps in front of him versus three steps behind him. And I think that's important to, to note that she is that independent, yeah. non-submissive person. Yeah. Yep. And I think in the traditional Japanese society, that is very, very not the norm. Right, 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 right. Um. They said she was sent home a lot from school for not wearing the mandatory uniform, which is typically uh, a white blouse and a dark skirt. Um, she just felt that people were unique. Uh, and she also, she was worn thick glasses because as she stated, she doesn't see very well. She's worn thick glasses all of her life. And as a young child, she developed an interest in drumming. But so there's a style called Teiko style in Japan, which she had no desire to learn. That's the traditional Japan style. Uh, she was more into the rhythms found in rock and roll music. So against her father's wishes, she would visit music stores. And th- this is something I underlined. Mm-hmm. The vibe, uh, she, uh, yeah, me too. 
where she can slip into another world as she pounded away on the electric drums. And then this mm -hmm. is what I underlined, I thought stood out. She said, the vibrations helped shake loose a beautiful part of her soul that survival kept buried away. It was yep. while drumming that she felt most like her true self. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, when you're talking to, and, and I use this term true musician, not someone who just plays to play. I think someone mm -hmm. who really is into it where like it it just succumbs their life. I think that's just what it is, is you find that instrument that makes you feel yourself. Yeah. You know, it's it's at that moment where whatever happens, happens. There's no judgment. There's nothing going on. You are your you are who you are. Mm -hmm. Yep. You know, and that's how I feel when I'm singing. Like, right. You know, it is what it is. Yep. I judge myself more in the saxophones. <laughs> <laughs> See, like for me, and I've, I've mentioned this, especially in the first season when we were doing our interviews, but like I have a lot of anxiety around people. But if you put me in front of a piano and like thousands of people, I don't care. Doesn't bother me at all. But like the, the individual, not even individual, but like small group being around people, like that gives me tremendous anxiety. And it's funny you say that because this morning we had a workshop and the gentleman running it wanted to bring a lot of us in to kind of do an icebreaker with the group that's there. Like not to keep us there the whole entire time, just for mm -hmm. the icebreaker moment. And like I had anxiety to go in and do the icebreaker. But if I was asked to prepare a piece and sing it, I would have been like, yeah, no problem. Yeah. So like that, I like I use that as that to to say what you were saying. Like it, I totally yep. get that. Yep. Like. I totally agree with you. I'd rather be in front of a ton of people performing music than having to do a silly icebreaker. Now, don't get me wrong. I've done some icebreakers. They are a lot of fun once you get into it. But mm -hmm. like, if I was going to choose, put me on stage. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I, you know, so I totally get that. Um, continuing, it states that her father was a powerful businessman and wanted his kids to follow in his footsteps. Seiko did not feel responsible for her father's security, meaning like the financial security, the business, the security of the business. And she didn't want to follow that dream because it wasn't hers. Uh, they argued a lot. The brothers sided with her father. In ultimatum, she ended up leaving her house. Um, her mother mourned it, but her mother never said anything. And in her final year of high school, Seiko found herself living on the street. Then she befriended an an older gentleman who helped guide and protect her. She gave him the name Kaladi. I'm assuming that's how it's pronounced. Um, and she said he was a supportive father that she never had. And he recognized her gifts and helped perfect them. And this is where I, I kind of starred this paragraph. Unlike her real father, who was ashamed of her for playing such a masculine instrument, Kiladi nourished Seiko's desire, helping to unearth the talents that she never knew she had. Through him, she learned to focus her skills in ways well beyond her imagination. To Seiko, this is what school was supposed to be. And I think that's the key sentence in that, is this is what yeah. school's supposed to be. Yep. And I think that goes, I mean, goes back to what we've been saying all along, is that you know, it's, I'm sure the way Kaladi taught was, you know, knowing the book, 
right. you know, it was a lot of showing and not a lot of, you know, do this, do that, do this, do that kind right. of stuff. And I, and I see that shift happening within education on in the classroom level. They're starting mm-hmm. to realize the importance of show and play versus teach. Yeah. And there is a group that's trying to shift that. It's just, it's a hard shift. It is, yeah. It's a very hard shift, especially when you're so used to something that's been going on for 300 years. Mm-hmm. And now, like, with the change of everything and the and the kids changing, you, you do need to make that shift, but it's hard to do because yep. you're not going to get everybody on board. Right. You know, so it's, it is interesting. Uh, then the city became her playground basically and with the teacher Kaladi she learned to hear and decipher the patterns of the street the more she listened the more the city spoke to her she was a quick learner which Kaladi loved and even though she was young her mind was very open and a lot of kids of her age showed little respect to her elders but she recognized the treasures that he was sharing so she tried to learn as much as possible because she felt that he was going to end up leaving. Right. Um, so this I thought was interesting. Uh, she foiled a purse snatching attempt. Mm-hmm. And the way she did it was interpreting the rhythm. Right. She, she felt an irregular rhythm. Right. She said, turning in the direction of the sound, she noticed a man moving down the street in an irregular pattern for that time of day. He appeared apprehensive as if searching for something, and his stride was unnatural for his size. His body language indicated a man with a deceitful intent. And she spotted his target, and she spoke loudly enough and told the man that the what, he was about to take the purse, you know, was not his color and he, he wouldn't look good with it. Mm-hmm. And she kind of like knelt back down. He didn't see her. He had no idea where it came from, but he went in the opposite direction. Uh, Kaladi gave her a hug and, because of what she did. And I think this goes back to the, at the end of the, um, the first book when Victor talks about his spidey sense. Right. And I think that, you know, and, and we'll get to it a little bit in this chapter. I think that there's a, a certain point where you're, you are training your senses to be more heightened um, yes. By becoming more relaxed, essentially. Um, and I think that's part of what she sensed. Especially the fact that she doesn't rely on her eyes. Right. She right. she really doesn't. Like, she doesn't like to wear glasses and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, to move forward, Kaladi told her he'd had to take a trip soon. Her heart was broken. He didn't tell her where he was going. He just said he was going to the city of music. And even though she kept asking, he wouldn't allow her to travel. She was told to follow the rhythms of her heart. And if that led her to him, he would be waiting. Yep. Um, Finding herself alone once again. She was outside of a nightclub. And a root strainer accosted Seiko. Broke free of his grip went around the corner and she bumped into a man knocking into him mortified. She helped him on his feet, apologized man was polite and charming. And she kind of built a relationship with this gentleman. Uh, instead of going back home, she lived in a small apartment with her quote unquote new boyfriend. 
and was happy to be free of the constraint, uh, the constant risks and struggles that came along living on the streets. She was looking for guidance, especially after the fact the teacher left. So she hoped to find him at the music festival, which we were introduced to at the beginning of this chapter. They get to the music festival. The promise of rock and roll, drum circles, and good food raises her spirits. Walks ahead, lost in contemplation. The noises from the crowd are not enough to mask the unsettling thoughts infiltrating her mind. Even though she felt safe with her boyfriend, uh, her, her plan was after the festival to leave him. And she felt bad and she felt guilty, but she just needed to get into the music festival and that, that was what she wanted. And the la- this, this last chapter... Not in the book, but the, I mean, I'm sorry, the last paragraph that I'm going to read. Uh, this is, I think this is important because this kind of plays to what's happening in this book. Her preoccupation makes her oblivious to the twisted rhythms formulating around her. The winds change direction. Seiko doesn't listen. The birds fly away. Seiko doesn't see. The clouds forming in distance also go unnoticed. The changing patterns should have alerted her, but it was only when her teacher's word appeared, the teacher's words appeared in her mind that she becomes alert. And that was what you read at the beginning. Coincidences are life's way of whispering. Accidents are life's way of shouting. Mm-hmm. And then I don't know if you have anything to add. Or if you so I had a question because this is something that I that I, I play with. And I don't know whether I. So as I drive to work, um, I kind of try to judge whether I'm on the right path by the way the music ends. On the right path to work? No, just the right <laughs> path in life. You're okay. You're saying that you're not saying on the grander scale. <laughs> no, yeah, right, right. Okay, so like, okay. you know, like because I, I always, I always, you know, we've talked about in the past, like, like, am I really going down the right path? Like, did I really choose the right way? Am I really doing what I'm supposed to be doing? And then, as kind of a weird reassurance, um, or like if I, I, it's so bizarre to think about it this way, but if if the music I chose for the ride, and I, a lot of times it's just random stuff where I started at random times, but like if it ends when I park the car, I feel like I'm in the right spot. Like in terms of I know the direction, not, of my not life. the actual parking spot. No, that, like well, you mean? I, mean, I, I mean, so I do. I do have a, a, a specific parking spot that I park in. Um, one because I'm weird like that, and two, I don't want to forget where I park the car. Um, <laughs> But like that's that's one of the things like and even like driving to the, like a store or something like I know that if if the music or I feel that if the music ends like right when I get there like I'm meant to be there almost if that makes sense I get what you're saying it's it's almost like it's like a sign for you that yeah. the path you've chosen in the sense of life or journey or whatever is moving in the right direction right. Well, you know, it's funny, and I think I may have mentioned this previously. We've we know what deja vu is. Mm-hmm. It's that thing of seeing something that we know we've seen before, right? So if you take that and you talk to psychics or those that are in that field, or you know, and you believe in that stuff, they state that when you have a deja vu, that means you're on the right path. Mm. So. However you want to take that, whether you take that as you're living the same life over and making different choices, whatever the case may be, if you feel that that, I mean, that's interesting. If you feel that that's something that 
helps move you along day by day, I, I say, why not? Why can't right. it be? Right. And because because I, I read probably a little bit too much into this quote, um, but for me, the coincidence part, because it's whispering, I mean, it's more of a guidance, more of a positive thing as opposed to the, you know, the, the yelling that they mention, the accident part. So Right. Um, right. No, I, I listen, I totally I, I totally get that. It makes sense. You know, like I have a thing with numbers. Mm-hmm. And if I see certain numbers in my travels, I feel like I'm on the right path. Is it this certain is, numbers? Yeah. No, the numbers are 269. And there's a whole story behind it. I may have okay. shared it on the pa- podcast before. It's a whole story about my grandfather and how he acquired these numbers in a dream and all that stuff. And it became something that was very important to us. And when he passed, we were surrounded by cars with the number 269 in every one of the license plates. Hmm. So now when I'm driving, if I see the number 269, and it ha- it's and, and that's me, it happens at random times, but there have been times where I'm thinking and talking out loud about stuff and like the car goes by and 269 is there. And I'm like, so it's just one of those things where I think we all as individuals have something right. that we use as guidance. I would never follow the car, but <laughs> but to, to to have that thought process and and like pondering pondering things and and potentially he would have been sp- someone I would have spoken to about it. Right. It's very interesting to see that that happen. Gotcha. Yeah. So I get that. Speaking of deja vu, have I ever told you my deja my deja vu joke? I'm afraid. All right, let's continue. <laughs> Speaking of deja vu, did I ever tell you my deja vu joke? Is that what's going to happen? That was the joke. (laughs) (laughs) That's too funny. It's one of of those one liners. (laughs) Um, Like, like what do you get when you cross a rhetorical question and a joke? Wow. Are these, are these things that you've gotten out of books? Oh no. I, I go down deep rabbit holes on the YouTubes. Uh, okay. So (laughs) moving forward. So there moving. So all this thing is changing environmentally around her at this music, at this music festival. Um, there was no movement in the air. Trees were silent. Um, the morning train ride realized that there was no musical sounds that were present. And she said this wasn't a coincidence anymore to herself. And she was wondering what it means and starts to examine everything. She goes, life is beginning to shout. And then the sudden roar of the crowd brings her attention to the stage. As the announcer introduces the first band, the sound of static is in the microphone. Boom of thunder rumbles in the air. There's no rain. Something's wrong. The crowd cheers. Sacred rain still. Then she noticed a few well-dressed people, men scattered amongst the audience. And... Gets a little confused, grabs her boyfriend's arm for security. And the singer tumbles backward as the microphone is jolted from his hands because it was struck by lightning. A rack of speakers falls, bouncing into the audience. She said the warning signs were clear. Uh, She covers her face, uh, drops her knees. Uh, She thought it was just a story that her teacher teacher told her that there'd be no music that day. And she thought, I must do something. And the next morning, she was on the flight to Chicago. 
So, um, brings us back to being in the car with Victor, Ollie, and Seiko, where they mm-hmm. were stating that they were listening to her story and how it coincidentally was very similar to theirs, where they both, where they all had a similar experiences to yep. that whole thing. Um, and I think, like for me, when I when I first read it, you know, I think I don't know when the, when they actually talk about it. it might be in this chapter at one point or later on. But they talk about how their stories are similar, where they all had some, some like bad thing, some shame, and like it never really hit me until I read this, and I realized that I think what hit her the most was the fact that she was using her boyfriend to get into the concert. Right. Um, right. You know, you had Ollie who was stealing the the money, but and, and I think her thing was was using her boyfriend for, you know, not what she should have been using them for. Right. And that's exactly what this was going into. So you, that where she was using a boyfriend out of guilt, um, he, Victor felt gu- guilty about the situation with his parents. Yep. And, and Ali felt guilty of taking the money from the church that he started to, to get right. away. Mm-hmm. Um, that's essentially what, what, it, what they were all was. And, and they said they all recognized there was a problem in music and, that's why they all set out to find answers to to solve this problem. Yep. What? Why is she sick? Why is she dying? Um, they said she was welcomed. She was a welcome to the group. And then they started then talking about spouting was, some knowledge. What? She starts spouting some knowledge. Yes, yes. They start. They talk about the fact that like her, the diminished eyesight, you yep. know, had augmented her other levels of senses which you mentioned earlier so she said according to her if we use the five basic senses to their highest potential we could do things previously believed impossible and this is where they they start their conversation it it goes to the fact that like we only use what 10 percent of our brain that's what they say yeah is what they say and i think it's less but you think it's less Mm -hmm. okay Interesting. I, my, Especially my these whole, days. I, I, I think we're using less these days than we used to. But I think, but I also feel that that, and okay, this may be conspiracy theory-ish, but is that also, how is that proven? Through neurological sta- scans? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I mean. But is it also a way to kind of control how much we're allowed to use our brain? I, I guess it could be. You know? So uh, this, okay. So let, uh, let's, let's. Like, take it the other way for a second. What if that's what it is? What if it was like, instead of us teaching us that 2 plus 2 equals 4, they taught us 2 plus 2 equals 5. And that's what they taught us growing up. Mm -hmm. We would never know that anything because we wouldn't know the other way. So if you tell somebody that you're only using 10% of your brain, that's going to stop that person from using Well, I mean, it could stop people, but it could also motivate people. Right, which I think happens where I think that's where you get into these people that meditate, right? Uh, Buddhist monks, like this pursuit of a life where they just want to be, you know, free of everything around them. Yeah. So I, it's, it's just, it's interesting. I, I, mm-hmm. I don't think there's a conspiracy behind it, but I'm just saying, like, it's that whole, like, how deep is it? Is it right? Yeah. And here's, I think here's, yeah. The other thing is like. Like when first off, when was that study done, or when when did right. that, that you know, and how much has technology changed since then? Is it really accurate still? 
with with the advancements that we've had in technology like could we do a different test that could prove something different could that first original test be, be accurate at all who knows was right. it even a test you know i mean how how do they know that right and with the change in technology how are we using our brains differently right that, that's a huge that's a huge thing to take into consideration yep. okay so she uh explained that based on what i've seen the last couple of weeks we're not using it at all <laughs> yeah uh, that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> yeah, it sure is. <laughs> Seiko explained that we are underutilizing our five senses. Hear, taste, feel, smell, um, and see and sight. And that we, and I think this goes to what I was saying, that she meekly, she states that we're just, this is what we're taught mm-hmm. and how to use it, right? And then she refers to simple stuff how to place our hands behind our ears to make them larger. Right. Which I've done mm-hmm. when I want to narrow my hearing and my hearing yep. down to something, I put my hand behind it yep. and I'm like, okay, I can hear that better. Yep. And it's true because if you watch animals, as they say in the book, they'll move their ears based. I'm visually doing this for those that are watching, but those that are listening, like if you watch an animal, they'll move their ear so they can hear it. Dogs move their ears. Every type of animal does. And that's what she's talking about at that. Um, they talk about the dog's nasal passage is a lot longer than ours. And instead of taking long inhales, they take short inhales and that they can smell better. And Victor, who stated before that he doesn't smell well, said he was going to try it because mm-hmm. maybe that'll help him. Yep. And um, what's interesting, because I've got dogs here, um, I've got two different kinds. I've got greyhounds and I've got um, a Collie Shepherd mix. And it's interesting to see the differences between the two of them. Like my my greyhounds obviously were bred for running, and like if right. you look at like the nostril size, for example, first off, it's a longer nose. The nostrils are so much bigger, um, and like the blood vessels inside the greyhound much much larger because there's more blood. So you can see these differences in these in in, in the dogs that I have, which is interesting. Um, like Lewis has got you can't see a thing, but like the greyhounds, in fact, they actually use greyhounds for teaching vets how to like you know, do like, like blood samples and stuff. Cause the veins are so much bigger. It's easier to find the vein. And Interesting. Um, so uh, that, and they're, they're very calm and they're, they're very understanding of, you know, being handled. So, but just, just looking at the, the anatomy of, of a greyhound, just seeing how much bigger everything is compared to a dog that doesn't typically run, you know, or run as, as much as a greyhound does is, is, is interesting. They don't want to run. They want to sleep. Th- that's true. They, they <laughs> run for about 45 seconds and that's about it. But, you know, still the anatomy is there. No, yeah, absolutely. Um, like, so, and they, he talks about how dogs are being used to detect seizures. Mm-hmm. And and if you see that, we, we've seen people with service dogs that are teach them how to um, catch when their owner is going into whatever... Um, condition they're going to go into to help them and he asked what about vision because of the fact that her eyesight is poor and she goes we're told to focus but we don't use our peripheral vision Mm. so she says unfocusing is best focus the mind but not the eye I go a lot by my peripheral vision. And I, it's funny because there have been plenty of times that I've been walking with people and like 
I'll be looking straight ahead and they'll do something off to my side and I'll be like, well, why'd you do that? And like, how did you see that? I, I go by my peripheral vision a lot and I'm, I'm kind of very much aware of that around me. Yeah. And that's Uh, a big part of my problem is, um, a lot of my, my reading issues with, with music is because I focus too much and I can only see a small part of the page. So I'm not using my peripheral vision enough. So try a question. I got a question for you. Yep. So you've been using the CPAP machine. Yes. Which we've talked about. Yep. How has your vision been and do you still have that blind spot? Yes, I still have the blind spot. Um, it's easier to read, but I'm not sure if that's a mental thing or whether that's an actual eyesight thing. Okay. Um, Interesting. Because I'm, I'm definitely, and, and part of it, like I don't know how long I've had the sleep apnea, so I don't know whether this goes back to when I was in college or not. Um, but I definitely, I definitely think clearer now and I'm able to do things better, but I don't know how long ago that whole thing happened, so I don't know. But you have also mentioned that the colors around you are better. Yes. So there's got to be something to it. Yeah. So If you notice that. Yeah. So in fact, uh, Nick, who's been on our podcast before, he mentioned it. Um, I have a friend, Jimmy, who, who, you know, when I first started talking about it, they both told me about their their experience. They said the same thing that because of the lack of oxygen to the brain, like it made all the colors muted. So, interesting. It's certainly possible. Yeah. Um, I keep saying um. I hate that filler word, but I use it. But so um. But um. But um. She states that our peripheral wide angle vision, that Victor calls it would help trigger our spirit or our invisible self, as she called it. Uh, this allows our ability to see or feel or hear tr- trouble before it happens. Um, and that goes back to the book that I was reading a while back, um, Awakening Spirits by Tom Brown. I that's saw a, read that. Yeah. <laughs> that's, <laughs> I mean, that's a big part of, of, of the meditations that they did. And um, there's a, a whole part in the book where he talked about you know, some of the meditations that they do like, and he would help people find things that they've lost. And like, it was basically a meditation where they sit in a room and they just try to envision where this thing that they lost is. And like, he was telling stories about like how people would come to the, to these, um, like seminars or whatever. And they lose something like when they're on a hike, like in the leaves on this like four mile hike and they'd go back and meditate and then just all of a sudden just stand up and walk directly to where this thing was, pick it up and walk back because in the meditation they saw exactly where it was. Right. I think that's part of this whole wide angle thing that you know they're able to tap into whatever it is, spirit wise or you know whatever yeah. and you know. I think stuff. we're retaining more than we realize, but we're so we're taught versus shown to do certain things and act certain ways. Where if mm-hmm. we kind of open up. Our, and, and lack for a better word, open up our mind in such a way where we accept everything. I think that's essentially what meditation is. You're tapping yeah. into other aspects. Yeah. So we have to be seeing things and, and it's not responding. But as soon as you go into meditation, your body is able to kind of refocus in a sense. Yep. Yeah. Um, and like, so not to go off on another tangent, no, no, but, no, no, no. Yeah. um, I mentioned Peter Santanello several weeks ago. Um, he does this, it's a weekly, like, I don't know, documentary where he picks 
you know, a group of people and studies them and interviews people. And he did one recently where he found someone who was, um, where was it? Was it North Carolina? I think I want to say it was North Carolina. Um, there's a big Cherokee, like, I don't want to say a village, but like a Cherokee thing. Is it a resident? Is it a reservation? It's technically not a reservation because okay. the land is not government owned. Okay. Um, they own their own land and it's all supported by a casino that they own. And, and basically the casino funds all the people that live in this town. Like they don't have to work. They've got the casino just, you know, um, gives them money monthly. Um, right. But one of the things that um, that he mentioned, this, this, this individual, I forget his name, but... Um, is that as a Native American, one of the things that, you know, as, as us, as the, as they would call the white man, you know, you know, when we pray, we ask for stuff. And he said that the Native American culture, it's very much, we don't ask anything of our creator. We just thank the creator. Everything else is on us. And I think that that's a big difference between what, what, what we're going through now. And if you think about how, you know, we came over and kind of took over and squashed that idea, we've, kind of squash that idea going forward you know oh, we're, we're not we're not teaching that sort of openness where our culture is is really kind of embracing this you know it's all about me kind of thing and you know not this community that that the right. native americans there's no fostered. um there's no gratitude for right what you have versus what you don't have i was on the phone with a friend of of mine that i haven't spoken to in a few months and we were talking about things and you ask those typical questions, how's life, how things going? And, you know, we were uh, we were on the phone and we both said, good. I'm like, how can we complain about it? We we have roofs over our heads. We have food on the table. Um, you know, yeah, okay. So financially, we have to work a little bit harder to make sure we pay things. But there are people that don't even have that. They're, they're running four, five, six jobs to get food. There's people that don't have jobs and they can't get food on the table. Yep. Like, just to be thankful for the fact that I have a house to come into and sleep in a bed at night. Mm -hmm. Like, and, and, you know, I'm not saying that back in the day I never really recognized this because you get taught to be a certain way and you become that certain way. Mm -hmm. And it's not until you, as an individual, step away from that and say, wait a second, there's something bigger here. Mm-hmm. You know, and there's something more, um, what you call it? There, yeah, no, it, it's, it's, I, I've always been connected to Native Americans. Uh, there's just something about their mm-hmm. history that I think is beautiful and also yep. so sad at the same time mm-hmm. because of what we did. Yeah, uh, I agree with that. And I also think there, there's something that, I don't know if it hits home with me, but it, it just makes sense. So much right. of what, what, you know, what they teach and what they've done. It just makes sense. Right. And it's, I mean, if they, if we, the white man, the people coming over from Mm -hmm. whatever, if we didn't take the land from them, I'm sure they'd still be doing what they were doing. Yeah. And I know, and and I'm sure that if, if there was, you know, and I mean, they're not, they're not stupid. Like, let's open up a casino. We're going to make a ton of money. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do it. Yeah. He was saying that like, so this little town. You know the actual like the the residents of the town that you have to be born into it, and there's a whole thing about it. But he was saying like his kid who was born into this 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 whatever it was called, I forget what it was called, but 
like when she's 25, like she'll have well over half a million dollars in the bank and she has never worked a day in her life. It just comes in every month from the casino. Taking care of your own. Yeah. Uh, this actually, uh, it relates to uh, what Seiko says. She expanded her vision includes the sense of emotion and feeling, imagination and creativity, as well as belief and knowing. Mm-hmm. Uh, she also said that most people were already aware of their sense of time, direction, balance, and fear, but didn't think of them as real senses. And, you know, it's funny. I've always thought of those because having fear is your body going into survival mode. Mm-hmm. How is that not a sense? Right. You're sensing fear, mm-hmm. you know, and, and it's a flight or fight response. Yep. And if your body didn't have that sense, there'd be a lot of other problems going on, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and I think one of the reasons we don't count it as, as a, count it as a sense is partly science, I think, because there's no quantitative measurement of fear. You know? Which then we're taught that it's not okay to, like, you shouldn't be fearful of this. Right. Yet you're taught in religion to be fearful of the God. Mm-hmm. That's supposed to be there protecting you. Right. You know, and it's it's understanding that it's okay to have fear Mm -hmm. because that's how you're going to able to, you're going to, you're going to be able to get through what you need to get through. Mm -hmm. I mean, going on stage, I I'd rather be on stage. That doesn't mean I don't get nervous before I get on stage. That doesn't mean I don't go through those things. I I was just looking at a post on what is now called X where Patton Oswalt had a picture taken of him just before he goes on stage. He goes, he goes, I'm in that moment of, nervousness and excitement he goes mm-hmm. and it's such a sweet spot for what and he goes i live for that yep. moment where both these things that are complete opposites are 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 getting me ready to go on stage and that 100 percent agree with that like that's how i feel mm-hmm. like i like that nervousness because there's an excitement about going out there yep it's 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 interesting uh, moving forward, a week has passed since her journey into the States. The, she didn't tell herself she was looking for Kaladi. She knew her search was much more than that. Uh, and she played her drum along the way in order to make money and to eat. And she was happy that they met. Ollie also recently re- uh, arrived in the United States through a series of unforeseen circumstances. He went on a plane, which landed in Virginia not knowing where he was, exhausted his money, and that's when he ended up in the library, and that's when Victor met him. And this is where Victor states that he ran home to mom because there was a moment, mom and dad, where there was a moment where he just felt, I don't know, like you were talking about a path, like he was just kind of lost. Yep. And all that good stuff. And then they enter Davison County, where Nashville Airport is, where they return. I had no idea he had a rental car. I, I, yeah, I, I totally forgot, forgot about yeah. that. And he goes, they returned the car, took a taxi to um, to Victor's house. And this is, I'm going to read, the, basically, the trunk open. They put the stuff in the trunk. Seiko entered the rear seat and, I, and Victor followed, closed the door behind us. Ali entered the rear from the other side. And as Victor's door slammed, it locked automatically. Seiko grabbed Victor's arms, and they knew that something, the last line is, something was about to go terribly wrong. 
Dun, dun, dun. And that's where we'll leave it until next week. And that's week. where we'll leave it on a cliffhanger. And so this is what I've been talking about. So my, my Kindle has been on the whole time. It just went to sleep. Like as oh, wow. we said that. That's, so that's what I'm that, that's a coincidence thing. It's like Yeah, yeah, like, no, absolutely. Right spot, I totally you know? get that. I I would I mean I wanna add one thing to what we were talking about with breeding and meditation. Music is meditation to me. Because of the fact that a lot of what, especially for, I mean, you know, I'm going to say this for all musicians, whether you're a guitarist, whether you're a string, a drum, breathing is an essential part of being a musician. Whether it is something you need to play the instrument or to sing or, or it's just something that you do to help with you performing the music. Mm-hmm. And I, and when we were talking about meditation and breathing, I, I thought about it. I'm like, that is... They talk about music being religion. Like, that's part of that religion. That's part of that, quote-unquote, prayer or meditation. Right. Is that breathing aspect. Yep. And it's, it's very interesting. You know, and that's, I think, the other reason why I enjoy music so much, especially the performing end of it, is because at that moment, you're focused. And which is what meditation does. It takes you away from everything around you to put your focus on one thing. So when you're performing, you're focused on that music. There's nothing else around you going on. Mm-hmm. You're listening to the other musicians if you're performing with them. Yep. And that's all that it's about. And at yep. that moment, that's the only thing that's going on. And you, you feel centered, you feel mm-hmm. grounded, and you right. feel spiritual or yep. whatever you want to say. And if you study like the Buddhist monks and stuff, you know, they will, their teachings basically say that anything can be a meditation. Right. You know, and they, they'll, they bring up like the fact that when you're sweeping the floor, like your job is to feel the broom, to feel the, you know, to smell the dust that's you're being, that you're picking up as you're sweeping, you know, to be present in that moment. That is the meditation, you know, driving to work can be a meditation if you're focused in the moment at that time. Oh, you know? I do that all the time. I start the car, connect my audiobook, and boom, I'm driving and listening and that's it. Mm-hmm. And I just cruise. I pay attention to the people around me, make sure they don't hit me because they're ignorant yep. drivers. But... <laughs> You know, and then, but I totally agree with that. And I, and I try to, I'm trying to start, I'm trying to, I can't put that into words. I'm trying to start doing that with everything that I do. Yeah. The individual things is like, be in that moment versus, Mm -hmm. all right, I'm doing this, but I got to do this. I got to do this. I got to go over here and do it. Like, no, I'm doing this at this moment. Yep. Yeah. And there's a great book. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, no. Go ahead. I would say there's, there's a great book and. The author is controversial a little bit, um, but the the book itself is a good book. It's called Think Like a Monk. The author is uh, Jay Shetty. Um, there's out on the internet, like with everyone, you'll find that people call him a you know a swindler and a shyster and a you know grifter or whatever. I think the book has got a lot of really good points, and I think that even though he might have done that in the past. I think that this book truly does try to help people live the way of the monk and talk about how monks live because he did study as a monk for a, a good portion of his life. Um, some people have a problem with the fact that he's making money off of it. And so it is the what Dalai it is. The Dalai Lama has books and he makes money. Right, right. So, I mean, you know, take it with a grain of salt. I think the information is really good. Um, so if you're interested in that sort of stuff, check it out. You 
I, I'm going to say this. You buy Bibles to read the Bible, to go to a church that you give money to, to, to pray to God. Mm-hmm. And back in the can, day, your sins were not forgiven unless you paid enough money. Right. And I'm not putting the religion down, but mm-hmm. all I'm saying is that the gentleman learned a way of life and decided to share it with everybody. Yep. And okay, he's making money, but you know, there's nothing wrong with that because he's trying to help. Yep. And that's in the, how I in see the, that. In the book it does say that that the monk that he learned from said that you're you would do a better job sharing our story by teaching it than by living here as a monk. That is your calling. There you go. So it's your calling. It's like we're called to do this and get on and try to figure out technology and make a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) That all being said, um, I, 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 the, this is, it's a, this book just starts moving and moving and moving. It's Mm -hmm. so cool. And and so many good things happen. Pick up steam now. Uh, so that all being said, join us on Friday and Saturday, uh, Sunday nights on Twitch. Friday nights is at eight. Sunday nights is at seven thirty, and then Kyle does put this podcast in visual format up on YouTube. Usually a few weeks out from when it comes out in audio format, so you can listen to it again and enjoy it. If not, share it amongst your friends. And he also puts up some of the bloopers, which if you're watching the podcast on YouTube, you're gonna see those bloopers because mm-hmm. why well, edit them out? It's not worth right. it. <laughs> And all you'll you'll hear all the other stuff in the closing, which I think we may have to update the closing. Yeah, probably. I was just realizing, so uh, I have to take a look at that. And we may have to update that, and that's all she wrote. That's all she wrote. Yep. So we'll see you guys all next week yeah, for, thank you for listening. episode mes- measure measure nine. Measure nine. Episode twenty four. Yes. I got the numbers in my head. Look now. at you. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, everybody. Yep. Thank you all so much. Thank you for listening to the Turn on the Music podcast. We hope that you join us next week. Click on the link tree in our show notes to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. You can also subscribe to our Twitch and YouTube channel. If you would like to continue the conversation, join us on our Discord. If you like what you heard, please share it with a friend. And if you really want to help us promote the show, head over to Apple Podcasts or the podcast service of your choice and give us a five-star rating. Remember... Always share the music.